So this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They're new every morning. That means you and I can experience the goodness of God, the character and nature of God every single day. You're listening to a sermon series titled, When Life Falls Apart, preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, please visit thisisshoreline.com. Let's open our Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. There are a few defining moments in our lives when um, life as we know it, and I do that in quotes, when life as we know it comes falling apart. One day it seems like everything's going great, and the next day the proverbial rug is yanked out from underneath us, and we find ourselves confused and even confounded. For example, we wake up on a Tuesday morning, business as usual, life as usual, we go to work or we go to school, and suddenly our meeting or our classroom is interrupted that two airplanes have struck the twin towers of the World Trade Center in New York. Or we wake up thinking it's going to be, hopefully, a good news day from what's happening in China, and then we hear a presidential news conference where we're going to take 14 or 30 days to slow the spread, and now it's an endless uh, time frame of a global pandemic that has affected every corner of the world medically, emotionally, even spiritually. Maybe more personally, we are excited as we find out the good news that we haven't shared with family yet, but we share as a couple that this is so exciting that we're finally going to have the upcoming birth of our son or daughter, and then the next day we find out the tragic news that that pregnancy has miscarried. Maybe there's a family friend who was supposed to be safe, and they were trusted, and yet they took advantage of a situation and sexually abused us, and we found ourselves with traumatic emotional scars that can't be washed off and can't be hidden away. Maybe what's supposed to be a routine doctor's visit ends with the very confusing and troubling referral with more questions than we have answers to, and God forbid going to look on WebMD to find out what that actually means. You may find yourself finishing a good meal with your spouse who, it's been rough, but wow, what a great meal we just had. Maybe we can turn the ship around, and what do they say to you, but they drop the bomb on you and say, you know what, I'm leaving you. We may find ourselves with a knock at the door or a phone call in the middle of the night with headlights rushing at us to strike our vehicle or a lawsuit or a bank notice, but these interruptions seem to come out of nowhere. And one day, life as we know it, we're running on all cylinders, and then the next day, we are filled with fear, we're filled with pain, we're filled with confusion. Now, there are certainly moments in life where There are little joys and little moments of excitement. We want someone to share those moments of excitement with. We want to call someone and give them the good news that we graduated or this worked out or I got the promotion. And those are great moments we share life with when we have people in our lives to share those things with. And and of course, there are those moments of 
of little annoyances and little frustrations, which is just called day-to-day life. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the moments that define our faith, the moments that test our faith that we say, okay, if God is real and if his word is true, then I've got to get through this situation because there's no little pithy bumper sticker statement that's going to help, like, it's all going to be okay. That's not going to help me in these times. I need something more concrete. I need something more tangible. I need something that I can hold on to that's real. Because this isn't a matter of just being inconvenienced. Our entire world has been completely shaken. Now, it's not a matter of if you're going to experience a moment like that in your life. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Now, certainly someone here today or watching online could give a little pushback and say, well, I know someone who's never had that happen to them. And okay, I'll, I'll give a concession there. There may be someone somewhere out in the world in history who was born into a family with two amazing parents. They had the perfect siblings. They had a wonderful childhood. They had an amazing set of teen years with, with no vocal changes that were embarrassing, no acne They were able to never experience embarrassment or chronic pain or trauma or stress. They were never alone. They only knew joy. They only knew love. They only knew commitment and friendship. They never had to work. They never had to struggle. They never had to do anything difficult. They actually died with a big grin on their face. And that, to me, is sort of a Disney World life. In other words, you go to Disney and everything is sanitized and everything is happy and magical and everything is an upbeat song in a major key, and there's no trash on the ground, there's no waste, there's no weeping. It's all staged because it isn't real. But, but for the overwhelming majority of those of us born of Adam, life is nothing like a fantasy land fast pass. No, the devastation of a fallen creation continues to wreak havoc upon us day in and day out from the moment we're born to the moment we expire. And someone who's never experienced hardship, never experienced difficulty, is often kind of like a muscle that's never actually been used. It's a muscle that just atrophies and is unusable because it's never been tested, it's never been stretched or stressed. And that is not the human experience. We live in a world of utmost sorrow, of utmost agony, sin, and despair. And our lives aren't always sung in the major key. They're often sung in the minor key. And then we come to the scriptures. Now, thankfully, the Bible doesn't quiet us in our moments of anguish. It's not as if God says, you know, shh, just go along with what you're seeing in the world and grin and bear it and be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Is that a biblical way of looking at life? Well, the Bible actually offers us a song or poem in these moments, which is known as a lament. The writer of a great book that I encourage you to get, we don't have our resource center up and running, but it's called Deep, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I want to encourage you to get that book. And uh, Pastor Mark, who wrote the book, says this. He says, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's not only how Christians grieve, it's the way Christians praise God through their sorrows. He says, lament is a pathway to praise when life gets Hard. Now, life was more than just hard for the Jews when the book of Lamentations was written. We could say it this way their entire life, their entire world had actually fallen apart. Remember, 
when you look back at Israel, we have to remember who they were. Israel was the people who had been chosen by God out from other nations and set apart by his love. God had made a covenant with Abraham and with his descendants and had said, you will be my people and I want to be identified as your God. God was with them, with the pillar of fire, with the pillar of cloud, and God had tabernacled among them. And God had spoken to them his precepts, his commands, his statutes. God brought them up out of oppression and slavery, and God led them, not just out of that, but through the wilderness and into this incredibly spacious land that was even like abundantly flowing with milk and honey a place they could settle in, a place they could spread out. And the people we know were unfaithful from the very beginning, and they said, we want to desire, like the other nations, a king. And we've studied this. God eventually raised up for them a king who was after his own heart. And within a generation, they had peace on all sides. They had prosperity. They had wisdom leading them. They had wealth, and they were flourishing. But in his covenant, God had warned that Israel needed to be faithful in her love and Israel was not to pursue other false idols. And we know what happened, right? She, like a wayward wife, prostituted herself out to heathen idols again and again and again. And yet God had warned Israel what would happen if that happened. In Deuteronomy 7, we'll put it on the screen, way earlier, God had said this, For you are a people holy. You're set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Uh, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you from the house of slavery, slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Israel, it's not because you're that awesome. It's because of my mercy. I want to show you and show the world my love. Now, a little bit after that, in the next chapter, Deuteronomy 8, God says this, verse 11. He says, take care, be watchful, take heed, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." It says in verse 19, And if you forget the Lord your God and you go after other gods and you serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. That's as strong as he can get. I mean, God has clearly warned his people and yet they persisted in spiritual adultery. One person said, that Israel was sowing their wild oats, but they were praying for crop failure. They were not listening to this warning. And over and over and over, God continues to warn them from prophet after prophet. And eventually, one morning, 
The Israelites wake up in the city of Jerusalem and they look out over the wall and what they see is the invading armies of Babylon surrounding the city. It was, um, some scholars say this, the summer of 586 or 587 BC, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, surrounded, he besieged the city, and within several, several years, the walls had been torn down, the armies had invaded, the, the temple that Solomon built had been removed brick by brick and burned to the ground. The prominent citizens were abducted and carried hundreds if not thousands of miles to, away to Babylon. And then the rest of the city that remained was razed to the ground, burned to the ground. Even the king Zedekiah tries to escape and on the plains of Jericho, he was captured. His sons were killed before him and his eyes were blinded. He was bound and he was eventually led away to Babylon where he died eventually. Um, the children of the people were kidnapped. They were deported. They were given new names. They didn't have Find My iPhone where you could locate them and send Liam Neeson to save your kids. They were abducted. They were given new names, new identities. And the empire that literally is the epitome in the Bible of, uh, of, a, of a nation, of an empire against God, a, a world system in opposition to God, was now the ruling uh, dictatorship over God's people. Life was more than hard. Life had completely fallen apart. And tradition says that Jeremiah, the prophet, sat and wept and overlooked the city of Jerusalem in that moment and wrote the words that we read in the book of Lamentations. It's a, it's a study, it's a book that the Jews recite every August as they recount the fall of the great city of Jerusalem. J. Vernon McGee says, this book is filled with tears and sorrow. It's a peon of pain, a poem of pity, a proverb of pathos, a hymn of heartbreak, a psalm of sadness, a symphony of sorrow. It is the wailing wall of the Bible. Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning? Now, Lamentations is actually, um, fascinatingly, it's a series of five poems. And if you're taking note, these five poems are laments. And with the exception of chapter five, each of the other chapters has around 22 verses. And each one of them start with a succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So when we grew up in school, we would take the, the English alphabet and write what's called an acrostic poem. So we would say A, and we would write a sentence or a word to begin with an A, and then B and C, and that's essentially what's happening here. We take our name and we take a letter of each, uh, you know, a word from each letter of our name. And so, um, fascinatingly, Psalm 119, the book about the Word of God, is written in the same way. Uh, so you could say it's the A to Z of the Word of God. Uh, I didn't realize this, but in study this week, Proverbs 31, where it's speaking about the virtuous woman, which is what our... Ladies, virtue, uh, Ladies of Virtue Ministry is named after, uh, is also written in an acrostic way. So you could say it's the ABCs of the godly wife. Uh, so what Lamentations is, is sort of an A to Z of grief. It is the completeness of the sorrow that God's people have experienced when losing what seems to be everything. And so these poems, in essence, tackle the question how can any good come from this disaster? You may be married to someone who's not a believer, and you're asking, how can any good come from this? Uh, you may have lost your job this year or lost some income. How can any good come from this? You may have lost a friendship. How can any good come from this? Is there any hope whatsoever? whatsoever? Well, there is, 
But first, we bring our complaints, we bring our protests before the Lord. And these poems of lament allow Jeremiah to process it, to deal with it, but not, as we just said, not to turn inwardly, try to come up with a solution on our own through psychology or sociology or through therapy, but to cry out to God in agony. Uh, But this is more than just crying. This is a form of poetry. It's a form of prayer. And it's ultimately submitting the trial to God and believing in the end that God will show himself faithful on not only my behalf, but on behalf of his people. So I told you to go to chapter three, but look with me real quick at chapter one. Just a couple of these lyrics. He says in verse 12, Lamentations 1, 12, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? He's almost speaking to the people walking by. Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which is brought upon me which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Look at verse 16. He says, For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Hey, does that sound familiar? Does that mental process sound familiar to you? In other words... Notice in verse 12 and 16, Jeremiah is looking around at others and he's saying, hey, nobody else gets this. I think I'm the only one who's suffering here. I'm the only one. No one's noticing my pain. I feel like I'm the only one who's experiencing the depth of this agony. I'm weeping. I'm looking for a comforter and there's none around me. I only see desolation. The the next generation, it's all desolate. And so he comes to the conclusion that some of us do that, you know what, the enemy's won. What's the purpose of life? Maybe even to despairing of life. Why am I even here? Well, thankfully, the book doesn't end there. And in chapter 3, we come to a moment, which we understand this with hurricanes, that seems to be kind of an eye in the storm, a break in the clouds, a little ray of hope. And there's great encouragement. So turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. And I just want to meditate on a couple verses. I'll have a brief time together this morning. But notice verse 21. Jeremiah says this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Notice with me the source of Jeremiah's hope in this moment when all of his life has fallen apart. What is it? It's the character of God. It's the steadfast love that loyal, covenantal love that never wavers. It's the endless mercies of God, the limitless compassion of a God who does not treat us as our terrible sins deserve him to treat us. It's the mercy that greets us with each and every sunrise. It's it's the boundless fidelity of God to his people that can never be doubted. Why? Because it's never wavered. And Jeremiah says, I call this to mind. I take an intentional purposeful, willful, active thought, and I meditate not on the problem, but I meditate on who God is, and therefore I have hope in the midst of trouble. Now, he doesn't diminish the suffering. He doesn't say, it's all going to work out. It's all good. My bad. He doesn't minimize the sorrow, but instead he chooses to fix his mind back onto the nature and the character of a good God in the midst of a really bad situation. He goes on in verse 24. Notice with me, he says, The Lord, Yahweh, is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Another way of translating that word portion, I'd love for you to circle that word or highlight it. 
Another way to translate that word in the Hebrew is inheritance or treasure or my favorite, plot of land. What he's saying is God is my allotment. God is my territory. God is my share. God is my plot. Some men may bequeath an estate to their children, but Jeremiah says, God is my reward. God is my great inheritance. So notice that he doesn't say, Jerusalem is my portion. Thankfully, because the entire city has been burned to the ground. Thankfully, he doesn't say, the temple is my portion. The temple has been destroyed. Thankfully, he doesn't say, the people of God, though they're great, the citizens of the city, they are my portion. Well, they've all been carried away captive, or they've been killed, or they've fled for their lives. Jeremiah says, my faith is not in something that will be shaken, or something that will lose value, where, what did Jesus say? Rust and moth will destroy. But my hope is in something that will never lose value. It's in God, and therefore I'll hope in him. Now notice that he says, the Lord is my portion, and it's his soul that's speaking. This is not something at the surface, lip service level, where he just kind of says, like, yeah, God is good. But then deep down, when he turns the lights off, climbs into bed, he's agonizing and calling out evil against God. He's experiencing this at the soul level. He says at the soul level, my greatest treasure, and beyond everything else in this world, the, the thing I cling to is God, and therefore I have to hope in him. God is enough even if I lose everything in this life. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Verse 25 and 26, we have kind of two goods here. So notice with me. He says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So really from two different perspectives, whether it's God's perspective, it's good for those who wait for him. Or from our perspective, the experience of waiting quietly for God to save, both of those angles, the conclusion is it is good to be waiting and trusting and seeking for God to work. Now, most laments will include kind of four elements. So as you begin to open up the Psalms like we did last summer, you'll find that one-third of them, as many as one-third of the Psalms, are written in that minor key where they're more of a lament. And you start to see kind of a pattern emerge as you look. It's not always in this exact um, you know, linear um, order, but you start seeing a pattern emerge. And again, completely ripping this off from Dark Cloud's Deep Mercy. Uh, very helpful, though. These are the four elements that you see in a lament. So number one, you'll see the person who's lamenting turn to God. Secondly, uh, you'll see them bring their complaint. So... Sometimes we sanitize this and we just say, you know, just turn to God and he'll work everything out. But we miss this part of it, which is bringing our protest, bringing what we're frustrated about, bringing what we're confused and confounded by. And so we bring our complaint. Thirdly, though, we ask boldly for God to help us. Lord, please. We saw this in Jonah, that he turns boldly to, help, uh, to ask for help. And then finally, we don't stop there. We don't just say, okay, well, I abandon hope. No, we Choose to trust that God will work on the behalf of his people. And, and that's what Jeremiah does. He calls to mind in the midst of his dark day that God is still good. And he brings his protest and submits it to God. And he, he ends all of Lamentations in chapter 5. You can look at it with me or look on the screen. He ends with kind of a final thought. But it's a little bit open-ended. He says at the end of Lamentations 5, he says in verse 21, Restore us to yourself, O Lord. 
that we may be restored. In other words, we can't do the restoring. We need you to step in. You've got to initiate this relationship of restoration and redemption. You have to do it, God. And then he says, renew our days as of old. In other words, God, do a new work that's like an old work. You've been faithful to do all of these good things in the past. So would you renew today what you used to do? And then he says in verse 22, very open end, he says, unless you've utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. You could say the book of Lamentations ends with a dot, dot, dot. His lament ends with a request for God to bring redemption after the tragedy, but then he leaves this little possibility that, oh, maybe God's judgment will be permanent. But see, we know the rest of the story, don't we? Uh, I love what one commentator says. They say, judgment cannot be God's last word, for his compassion triumphs over it and has its most profound expression in Jesus' suffering on the cross, God's greatest judgment on sin and his final self-giving love for humanity. Because love and compassion are the chief attributes of God, they're always fresh, ready to be proved, and known again. For this reason, those who have been afflicted may always put their trust in him again for their acceptance and restoration. God has not minimized his holiness to just sweep sin under the rug. He has made a way to fully provide for his wrath and his justice to be satisfied. And so he hasn't minimized his holiness, but he hasn't minimized his love. And the cross is that perfect intersection of the holiness of God and the mercies and love of God. You see, tradition tells us that Jeremiah sat weeping outside of Jerusalem And the place that he sat was under a hill called Golgotha. Now we know that it was upon that hill that Jesus Christ bore the terrible wrath of God against sin. Jesus bore the curse of Adam and thus the sin of humanity. He bore all the judgment of God, not just a portion of it, and then we have to face the rest. He bore all of God's judgment against sin and was crushed by cruel anger and yet, Like myrrh, a gift that was given to Jesus, myrrh, as it's crushed, releases a sweet aroma. And out of all the people who have ever lived under the sun, none can compare to the trial that was experienced by the man of sorrows who took our place and died for our redemption. It's not as though the father said, I wonder what it's like to experience plight and pain. No, he sent his son who was in every way tempted as we are and yet was without sin. Jesus didn't take a sip of humanity. He bore all of humanity. And as we look around us today at the uncertainties in a fallen world and we scratch our head and go, how can this happen? Well, we realize God has the final word. And God is working what seems to be seeming setbacks. He's working it perhaps to draw us closer to himself. I love what C.S. Lewis said in The Problem of Pain. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, God had caused Babylon to strike Judah because of her sin, and God caused his son to be struck because of your sin. And today, we can look at the circumstances in 2020, and we can respond with panic, or we can respond with peace. Because listen, even though it seems like everything in our world is falling apart. The truth is that from God's perspective, it's not falling apart, it's falling exactly into place. 
So this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They're new every morning. That means you and I can experience the goodness of God, the character and nature of God every single day. Now, why not just give us all that we needed for our life right when we got saved? So the moment of justification, the storehouse of God's bounty of mercy is just given to us right then. Like cashing out your 401k of God's love and mercy. You get all of it at once. And then, you know, Lord, I'm wise enough to know how much I should spend every day. Why didn't it happen that way? One um, Jewish rabbi gives a helpful parable on this thought. He said there was once a king who had a son. And he owed the son, uh, or he gave the son a yearly allowance. And he paid him the entire sum every year on one date. Well, it soon happened that the day on which the allowance was due was the only day of the year when the father ever saw his son. So the way the parable goes is that the, the king changed his plan and gave his son a portion of his inheritance day after day after day, which was sufficient for the day. And therefore, the son visited the father every single morning. He needed his father's unbroken love, companionship, wisdom, and gift. And therefore, God, he says, dealt with Israel and has dealt with us in the same way. Could it be that the entire reason that you have experienced trauma in your life difficulty in your life, pain in your life, or that we as a people on planet Earth have experienced some of the confusion and chaos in 2020 was in order to draw us closer to himself. So let's bring it home for us as a church. Let's just just anchor it right here. We as a church community have lost our facility. Uh, Last month, so this this is dated now, this is four weeks ago, a church that meets in our area at a school, a public school near us, had a member of their church test positive for COVID. Uh, They're fully recovered. No one else got got the sickness. But in response to that person getting uh, sick and being in a school building, the Manatee County School Board made the decision to suspend every lease of every church in the entire county, as well as not just churches, but every outside group that meets in schools. Um, And so... um, They said indefinitely, our lease was suspended. Um, We found out more that it's more like all of 2020. And so we were a little dismayed at this decision. We, uh, our pastors prayed about it. We appealed it. We were able to meet through Zoom with the superintendent of operations, but we were denied. And at this time, we do not intend to meet back at Freedom Elementary. Uh, And so this is a disappointing turn of events, especially for our parents who were so excited that we had kids ministry. (laughs) that kicked off last week. So as a church, what's our response? Well, we can and we should bring our complaint before the Lord. Like, Lord, we're disappointed about that. We prayed about it. You were leading us. What happened? And this is the hour that we as a fellowship really just need to turn to him. We need to bring our complaint. We need to ask him boldly to help us. And then we need to, together as a body, just choose corporately to trust in God's provision and in God's timing and that he will work faithfully on behalf of his people. And I just want to tell you guys that our pastors are encouraged, that that we're not, like, losing heart. We're actually taking heart. We're very encouraged, and we're excited to see how God is at work. Even this week, God has seen me to open some doors that we'll announce and let you guys know soon on some options for us with our kids' ministry. But um, some people have asked, well, what are we going to do next? Um, We met here months and months ago, 
and uh, explain what was next for us to go to freedom. And at that time, we said we have a little over $100,000 saved so that we can put down on a facility and get into a space. It's an amazing way that God has provided for us without anything extra. Uh, but God has provided to this point, as of this last week, we have just around 200000 in our bank account, which is fascinating, and God is like amazingly providing. And so thank you for your generous gifts that God has used and multiplied. Um, but, man, in this moment, um, no matter what happens next, I want to put this question on the screen. Here's the most important question we can ask right now as a church. Is God enough? Like, are we satisfied in him alone? If God is indeed our portion, then we can wait for him. We can hope in him. And we can trust that God's going to lead us as a people to whatever's next. It's going to be for our good and it's going to be for his glory. And even the difficulty, even the trials. Charles Spurgeon had such a great thought on this when he said, At the south of Africa, the sea was generally so stormy when the frail barks of the Portuguese went sailing south, they named it, the Cape of Storms. But after that cape had been well-rounded by bolder navigators, they changed the name to the Cape of Good Hope. In your experience, you may have had many a Cape of Storms, but you've weathered them all. And now let them be a Cape of Good Hope to you. God has been so faithful in the past. Why would we ever doubt uh, his unwavering love and provision now? Our worth is not in what we own. Our worth is not in a facility that we meet in. Jesus is enough. We've always said it from the beginning. It's all about Jesus. And so we're not, as a church, going to falter in the day of trouble. We are going to trust him. And what I want us to do now is just spend a few minutes in prayer, and then we'll close in song. And we're going to, together as a fellowship, I'll leave this at the feet of Jesus. And I want to, we didn't do this in the earlier service, but if you're going through a trial right now, I want to invite you as well, not to pray out loud, but to lay that burden down at the feet of Christ as we pray. Okay, so let's bow our heads. Our worship team will come and we'll close in song in just a moment. I'll pray for us and open us and then Pastor Micah will close us and then lead us in song. Father, we come before you this morning and I want to acknowledge the trials that many of us have endured. Some have lost children. They've lost mothers and fathers and brothers Sisters, they've lost loved ones. They've been abused. They've received beatings and trauma and um, threats. Lord, we can look back at our lives and certainly see accidents that happened and um, things that caused despair and dismay. Uh, we see our life before Christ and our sin and how it just was heaping up condemnation. And then you broke into our lives, and Father, you drew us to your Son, and you redeemed us, you saved us, our sins were paid for by the finished work of Christ, and then since then we've been being sanctified, but that doesn't mean we are fully without sin, and Lord, some of the trials we've endured are because of our sin. Uh, some of them are consequences for our foolishness. Some of them have caught up from our BC days, and so Lord, we just want to lay all of this at your feet and just affirm this morning that you are good and your love endures forever. And we thank you even for the trial. We thank you for the hardship because, Lord, it is causing us to lean in and rely on you. Father, I pray for anyone here today that's shouldering a burden that they would cast their cares upon the Lord because you care for us. So, Father, I pray as a church, as individual Christians, we would lay those burdens down today, that you'd receive them 
And Lord, that you would help us in our time of need. Uh, we bring our lament before you, but Lord, we don't just sit and, and complain. We now turn in faith and believe that you'll work all this for good, for the good of those who love him who are called according to your purpose. So to that end, Lord, we're excited to see how you will bring redemption through um, what was weeping that remained for a night. We want to see rejoicing come in the morning. So we, we trust you. We just affirm, yes, Lord, I trust you to do that in my life. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at the Port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.